What's been interesting in talking to people during this time is seeing that for some, it's been a great time of relaxation, of quiet, of solitude, and for others, it's been stressful and exhausting. For some of us, the disappearance of our events, the decreased social interaction, some of the busyness demands of our daily performance treadmill have been stripped away, and as they're taken away, so are our anxieties. Maybe for the first time in years, we have space to think, space to be alone, and some real or some even imagined expectations have been lifted off our shoulders. But for others, those expectations are what give us momentum each day. That treadmill is my jam. That social interaction, the events, the demands of busyness, they're the things that help me ignore or suppress my anxiety. They're the things that shout down or hide my anxieties in my diary. I'm okay so long as there's no time to think. I'm okay so long as I don't have to be on my own. And so this time of forced isolation, time to think, time to be alone, coupled with uncertainty about the future and the very real realities of sickness and death close by and talked about frequently, it can be a very anxious time. And so one of the great gifts of God for us is the reminder that we don't face these circumstances alone. The Psalms remind us that we live through and we pray through these realities together as God's dependent children. And we also do this in the context of an ongoing relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, and His sovereign rule and His fatherly care. And so Psalm 77 that we have in front of us today reminds us that we don't need to pretend with God when it comes to our anxieties We don't need to hide or mask or bury the way that we're feeling before Him. We can be honest, we can be real, and we can do that together. And in fact, this psalm provides a wonderful, if not uncomfortable, mirror that we can hold up to our own anxiety and our own doubt and our own insecurity and be led by God's fatherly hand to the place of security and comfort. In this section of the psalms, It seems that the context for God's people is that they're in exile. It's bringing material loss and identity confusion and future uncertainty and bringing it all before God in the midst of those realities and saying, God, what gives with all of this? That's what we have in front of us. Let's look at first six verses of Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. And we'll get to those questions that the psalmist spirit asks in a second. But did you see in there some of those common experiences of anxiety and distress? He's sleepless and speechless. He can't be comforted. 
He's battling how to articulate how or why he feels so distressed. And I wonder if you've known some of those feelings before. The feeling that you're absolutely exhausted but you just can't sleep. That you have so much on your mind and on your heart but you just can't find the words to share it with anyone. Well, in the midst of that, did you notice how the psalmist gives us a great example of what to do? Even though he can't find the words, even though he only can express a groan, he still remembers God. He cries out to God. He sought the Lord. He remained stretched out in prayer. Even when he can't be comforted, his, his hands are stretched out in prayer. In the midst of feeling alone, he sought the Lord who is always there. In the midst of feeling out of control, he depended upon the one who's in control of all things. In the midst of feeling weak and powerless and helpless, he depended upon the one who is infinitely strong and infinitely powerful. And as he meditates, as he reaches out to God, it's not as if his anxiety suddenly dissipates. There's no easy solution or short step to security. As he dwells long and hard and consistently on God's promises and on his circumstances, the psalmist leads us actually further down the pit of despair to ask the even harder questions, the even bigger doubts, those searching questions of fear. Verse 7, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These questions reassure us that not only is doubt a very normal thing for God's people... Not only is God okay with you doubting and asking the question of him, in fact, he invites it. In fact, he even gives you the words to express your doubt and your anxiety to him. In your anxious moments, struggling to speak, muddled in your thoughts, how about you try these doubts on for size, God says. Have I rejected you? Has my love vanished? Have my promises failed? Am I simply dishing out anger and forgetting to give compassion? Just when you might be feeling as low and as anxious as you can, it's as though God says to you, no, 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 we can go a bit lower. The mirror of his word takes us to the deepest place of despair because a place where God's love has vanished, a place where God's anger is being distributed without compassion, well, that is a very, very low place to be. So go on, says God. Ask the darkest question. Bring your deepest doubt. 
your sleepless worry, bring your speechless anxiety, bring it all to me. Because God is not the least bit insecure in his sovereignty. He is not the least bit unsure about his promises. He can handle your doubts. In fact, he welcomes them and he invites them in and he gives them shape and he helps you express them. Why? Why does God do that in his word? Because he knows that like the psalmist, at the end of yourself, when you have not the resources, at the end of your doubts, he will lead you back to the surety of his promises. Without clinging to any resources of your own, he teaches you to trust even through the doubt in order that you might rely upon his grace and see him to be the great and holy God that he truly is, the one who graciously saves, the one who's always rescued his people, the one who even sent Jesus to die in your place and be raised again. And so having asked those deep and dark and doubtful questions, God then leads the psalmist on the journey from his anxious turmoil to assured trust in God's promises, turning the corner in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, despite his anxiety, despite his circumstances, in the midst of that turmoil, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forward. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The, the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God has always led his people through the mighty waters to the place of redemption and rescue. And he can be trusted to continue to lead his people through the mighty waters to redemption and rescue in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the solution to anxious turmoil, it's not found in an immediate change of circumstances. There's no quick fix, no simple steps. Without his circumstances changing at all, the psalmist is moved to assured trust by appealing to the truth. What do I know of God's character? What remains true from God's track record? 
Because if God has done the enormous work of rescue and redemption, then I can surely trust him for the smaller work of perseverance and completion. All through the history of God's people, God builds into the rhythm of life, the practices of faith, the songs of his people, an appeal to the great acts of salvation, the display of his sovereign, evil-defeating grace, as one writer calls it. All through the Old Testament, God's people are reminded of the Exodus when God rescued with a mighty, mighty arm. Their life together remembers it and recites it and reenacts it as a repeated confirmation that God is gracious, that God is sovereign, that God saves, that God can be trusted. His salvation has never needed our help. His sovereignty has never been damaged by our circumstances. His promises have never come to nothing. And for the psalmist, in the sinking sand of anxiety, in the swirling waters of a a worried mind, here is a safe place to land. Here is solid ground to stand upon. Here is relief and rest. Circumstances might still be anxiety-producing. Sleepless nights might still be ahead. A muddled mind might still struggle to speak. But this will still be true. This will still be secure. This will still be safe. God is great. He is sovereign. He is gracious. His salvation never needed your help. His promises have never come to nothing. And Jesus reminded his disciples of that, didn't he, on the night before he died, when their world was about to fall apart. Sharing the last Passover meal with them, he said, don't remember that anymore. Instead, remember my cross, my death and my resurrection. This is my body, this is my blood. This now, Jesus says, is the great act of salvation that you are to remember and to recite and to remind one another of until I return. And in the midst of that anxiety, sleepless nights, muddled minds, struggling to speak, struggling to pray, it's as though Jesus says to us, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Remember my cross. The cross is the place to go when we're anxious and when we're worried. It's the place of safety and salvation. It's the place of rest and redemption. And so when you look at God's act of sovereign, evil-defeating grace at the cross of the Lord Jesus, you're able to ask those questions again. Will the Lord reject forever? And what's the answer? No. Because the curtain is torn and the tomb is empty. Will he show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? No. Because he laid down his life for me. Has his promise failed for all time? No. Because every promise has its yes in the Lord Jesus. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? No. 
Because at the cross, his anger has been turned aside and he's poured out his mercy into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't offer us glib and simple solutions to our real and deep anxieties, but gives us the safety to ask the deepest and darkest questions of doubt in the midst of muddled and sleepless brains. And God, in his fatherly and sovereign care, takes us by the hand and leads us to the place through the mighty waters, to the place of redemption and rescue at the cross of the Lord Jesus, to remind us that his salvation's never needed our help, his promises have never failed, his sovereignty has never been damaged. And so we can trust him at the foot of the cross and receive from the Lord Jesus that promised. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Amen.